I hate to say this because I think people don't believe it, but we have more money now than we have deals that because we, we don't jump into deals that don't make sense. And and for us. The stress for us now sometimes is finding the right deal, not finding money. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by Ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Adam, Triple A Adams. I've got someone on the podcast that I've been following for some time. I don't even know how many years, but he's been in the business for like 29 years. He's been raising capital and 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 doing a lot of business since like 2007. He has a lot of really interesting things. I'll say one of my favorites is that he's done, he currently owns over 600 unique assets, over 600 unique assets that he's owning right now. And let me tell you kind of how he does that before we get into the episode. He actually buys from the banks on the multiples. So instead of, um, instead of somebody who's thinking, oh, I want to get to 600 houses, that's going to take me a million years. Um, what he's found out that he can do is he can pull together capital and then he goes to the bank and he buys these properties um, and the notes uh, straight from the bank. And he actually has this unique strategy that we're going to dive into so you can learn how you can do it too. He's got this unique strategy where the way that he exits this property, these properties are unique to what he's doing. And I think if you think about it, it can work for your multifamily. He's done multifamily. It, it can work for your single family. He's, he's got the single family. And it can work for uh, notes or whatever you're doing when you're thinking about having to exit the property. So without further ado, Dan Zatoski, how are you? Great, Dan. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been it's a pleasure knowing you for a couple of years and seeing what you're doing in the industry. You're just kicking and rock and rolling what you're doing. And it's just an honor to finally uh, be on a show with you in one-on-one. You know, as best it's we can do during these an honor time. to have you on the show. Uh, so, so I think we need to reverse the tables, but thanks for being sweet to me. Um, so we're here with Dan and we're going to talk a little bit about what he's doing and how you can do the same. Um, one thing that I will plug is that as we're recording, he's, already, he's launching this uh, podcast and I need your help. I want your help. He's not asking for this. He doesn't need it. But I'm saying to you, like, if you like the, by the end of this uh, episode, if you're thinking, yeah, this is a, this is a good guy. What I want you to do is I know we have uh, well over a thousand people listening today and tomorrow there's another thousand plus. I want you to say, I'm going to take it on myself to jump over to this podcast and give him the rating and the, and, and the review that he deserves. So just jump over to, it's called Passive to Prosperous, Prosperous. And um, he's also got that book. Dan, could you, before I get into the questions, can you just tell him about your book real fast? Sure. The book is uh, a story about my life. And and for years, I was, I grew up in a way that I thought uh, having money was success. And I realized real quick, I was a fix and flipper for many years. I was flipping uh, 30, 40, sometimes 50 properties every year, netting 50 to $80,000 of property. So you understand I was making multiple seven figures a year year after year, buying the cars, the boats, the watches that everyone thought about. Um, so that really didn't work out for me. At that point, I literally almost lost you know, my wife, my kids, because I was working so hard, um, not, not present for them. So I just, at, at the point where I was going to lose everything, uh, when my wife told me, hey, you're not, you're not a great father, you're not a great husband, you're not here for us, 
and it kind of crushed me. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling the story a little fast than it really is. I switched, I switched over at that point and I decided I had to build a passive income stream because it really my vision was spending time with my family. The reason I was doing what I was doing is because I didn't want to be stuck in a nine to five job, miserable the rest of my life. But I, all I did was create a transactional business for myself where I was very miserable working 100 hours a week to, to bring in money to buy the things that didn't make me, you know, the watches I have, the, the cars, the boats that everyone thinks that is success. And really, I was just feeding my ego. So uh, at that point, I turned around and I started building a rental portfolio. And I always tell people, I said, $300 a month isn't sexy when you can make fifty dollars to $80,000 on the deal. But it gets pretty, pretty damn sexy when you do it a couple hundred times. And that's what we did. We really focused at that point and uh, put our head down, started raising a lot of private money and started figuring out ways to build a nice rental portfolio and passive income stream as the bank. And that's why it's, you know, passive. So the book is passive to prosperous. And I'll just mention the uh, podcast is coming out. So it's not even out there yet. Um, but keep it in your mind that you will, you know, when you watch it, put it on your board, but you won't be able to see it yet until we have our, our episodes recorded and put out there. So I appreciate that plug, but it will be out soon. So you won't see it yet. Yeah, and, and sometimes these episodes that we record, sometimes they are they lag by a month or two or three. So um, so usually it's about a two-month lag anyway. So I was speaking to the listener like, hey, once you listen to this, it's probably out. And then I want you to go and, and look for it and awesome. uh, and give it. And if you find it or when you find it, passive to prosperous. I don't know why I can't say that word. Once you find it, then uh, please give him the rating and the review that you think that he deserves. All right, so let's get into the questions. And what I want to do with these questions is I'm actually fascinated with your business model. I, I think it's awesome. I think I know that you've raised a lot of pa- uh, private capital. Uh, can, you, can you put a number on that? Is, are, we, are we talking like somewhere between 500,000 and a million or are we talking about something else? Exactly. We raised a new, in new money, we raised about $30 million. And we've used it in about $200 million in velocity using that money over and over again. So um, it's pretty decent money. It's not the most out there. It's not the least out there. But what I'm most proud of is I've, only, I've done it with really 42 invest lenders is really what I've done it with. Um, so I don't go out there and I'm not out there trying to bring in three, 400 lenders that I don't have a relationship with. I really have a good relationship. I almost have my lenders are almost like family to me after I, I bring them in. Um, so that's really what we, we've done. And it's worked well for us. We consistently do bring in more lenders, but in most businesses, when you bring in that, that kind of money, you're pretty much set that you can run your business for a long time with that kind of money. So let me, I really want to know, um, and this is, you, you're, you're our phenomenal at this. And so I want to pick your brain because I think that there's a few listeners, a few maybe a lot of listeners who are thinking to themselves, you know, I, I want to be good at raising capital. I want to be better at raising capital. I want to feel like the 42 people that I raise $200 million from are friends of mine. I want to feel that way. They're probably thinking that. So, want to just find out before we dive into the whole business model on the, on the back end, what you're doing with the banks, how you're, how you're starting the relationships with banks um, and how you're disposing of the properties. Cause that's a super creative niche that, that hasn't come onto the show yet. And so I'm really excited about that. But before we get there, Dan, how did you meet these 42 lenders? Like what was the way that you first met them? Great question. A couple ways. Um, one is I went, I don't hang out in the same murky waters that everybody else does to raise money, right? I'm not an event guy. I, I go to events. I speak now internationally. Um, 
I go to real estate investor events and I kind of go just to kind of just to network with people I know, but I never raise money at these RIAs, these meetups or any of these, these real estate events that they have nationwide. That's not what I'm, that's not where I'm there. In fact, I, I don't ever raise money there. What I do is I actually go out and I, I, I tell my students the same thing. I said, find a niche, find a hobby that you're in. I'm into wine. I like cigars. I'm into boating. I'm into um, uh, fishing. I'm into sports cars. So I join those groups and I hang out in those groups. And especially like I'm into, I'm into you know, boating. I have a couple of really nice boats and I hang out with you at a yacht club. I, I also take uh, veterans out on a fishing trip with a senior citizen. So senior citizen, get out. We talk about what I do. They're not, those are not the people that care about making 15, 20% of their money. They're very happy making six, seven, eight percent conservatively on their money. There's no guarantees, but conservatively. I also reach out directly and I do private lender events. And my private lender events, I reach out and I send high-end invitations to accredited type. They don't have to be accredited, but accredited type investors your doctors, your business owners, your auto auctioneers, your veterinarians, your, um, your high-level insurance reps. Um, and, and you can find those people at places like your Chamber of Commerce. You can reach out to them. You can go online and you can look in your local community. We also help our students. We have students. We help them. Um, I actually have my team do it. I don't even – we just raise – we just charge enough money to build lists for my team to put those lists together for you, to send them out to you. So you actually have a list of people – who you can actually market to that might be potential private lenders. We also do a lot of education. And when I say education, I don't mean education that we, yes, we sell training, but we, our education is to those same as accredited type investors. We teach business owners, hey, do you realize that you can do a solo 401k? Hey, do you realize you could pay your kids up to $12,200 a year tax-free and have your kids invest in real estate and pay for their own college? Hey, do you know you can do self-directed IRAs? Hey, do you know the health savings accounts are one of the best investment vehicles to invest in real estate? So we become content kings. And that's really, look, Adam, that's, that's what you are. You're a, content, you're a content maven, right? We become content kings. We don't ask. We, we give content, content, content. And then, of course, if we teach you how to pay your kids $12,200 a year, up to $12,200 tax-free, and now you have three kids. You just put away $36,800, and it's great. Dan, I put this money away. What do I do with it now? That's what they ask. Who are they going to come to? So we have – it's great. And I hate to say this because I think people don't believe it, and I love being on this show because I know you can attest to it, but we have more money now than we have deals that because we, we don't jump into deals that don't make sense. And, and for us, the stress for us now sometimes is finding the right deal, not finding money. But I keep saying be consistent. So I'm, I'm going real quick, and we do – a private lender event, our private lender event, we keep it at four to eight people. We treat it like VIP. We send out wedding style invitations to them. We don't send out a yellow letter. We don't send out a postcard. We treat them like VIP. We bring them in. We do, you know, food. We do some drinks. We have a one-on-one. We don't present a deal to them at the first event. We do a follow-up second call, a one-on-one call with them. We get to know them a little bit better. We get to know what their risk levels are, where their money is, how we can help them. And we still don't present the deal in our second event. We usually wait 30 to 45 days and we have three, three uh, visits. And this is with our cold market. And we follow the SEC guidelines on it because we've had three funds in the past. Even though this is not through a fund, we still follow those SEC guidelines. And we want to make sure that they're as well of a fit for us as we are for them. You know, we'll sit down and ask them, what happens if we lose your money? Well, we want to look at their face and see how they react. We want to make sure we take care of them and, uh, once you do a good job for them, they're just 
constantly they're they have the hero syndrome they go to a party and they tell their friends how great you are because they start getting their checks the other thing we do i'll tell you this this is a great little trick uh we actually no matter what even though we have ach set up and, and wires we make sure we actually physically write out a check as crazy as it sounds and at least for three months we send them a check at least three if it's it's a monthly payment we send it to them for three months we write it out and send it out. we want them to hold that check because there's nothing like getting a check after they get that third check they're ecstatic they start telling everyone about you so you know think about that when you're doing things like ach and and uh, you have bill pay and you're doing those auto payments. Just think about your, your new investors. Start sending them a check because they will be your biggest, biggest fan. And they'll tell her they have the hero syndrome. They want to tell everyone that they get the best guy in the world or best gal in the world. So I think I ran through pretty quick a lot of little, uh, a lot of little things I did to, to raise a lot of money. I love it. Okay, so if you want to raise $200 million or $30 million, multiple different times to get to the $200 million of, uh, of equity for your deals or, or debt for your deals. Um, this was a, an amazing like four minute uh, explanation of, of some of the top things that you could be doing. And um, <clears throat> the first thing that I'll say is that um, what Dan doesn't do is go to where you're going to try to raise money. You're going to the real estate meetup and you're, you're trying to, you're being like, hey, do you want to invest in my deal? Do you want to invest in my deal and make 20%? Uh, he's not doing that. He's, he's going, he likes wine. He likes cigars. He likes fishing. He likes cars. He, um, he goes and has his own private lending events. It's invite only four to eight people, doctors, attorneys, and other accredited investors. Invite only where he treats them like VIP. I don't see a lot of you doing that. The person driving in the car right now listening to this podcast, I haven't yet seen you do this. I haven't seen you um, go in and say, it's not going to be a real estate convention where I'm going to get my investors. I'm actually going to take one of my hobbies, whether it's my Ferrari or whether it's, it's, it's my fishing boat or if I love wine or cigars, something where you can go and find other people that are well off, that are credited, and you start inviting them invite only, not with a yellow letter, etc., and um, and start educating them. This this was also really good. Are you educating your investors? If you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I need to educate my investors, are you already doing this? And if so, what are you teaching them? Dan's teaching them about a solo K. He's teaching about that trick where you can get pay your kids a thousand dollars a month each and write all of that off. You don't pay taxes, they don't pay taxes. And as he teaches his past investors of these ways of, of making more money or keeping more of their money, they're starting to say, what am I gonna do with all of that? And then my, the, the one that you shared, Dan, at the end, which was very interesting to me. I never would have thought of that. I never would have wanted to do that. But we might start doing that in our business. We used to do handwritten only, but we ended up getting quite a bit of past investors. And so it was like my partner, DJ, who handwrites those checks, was getting carpal tunnel and he wasn't going to last much longer. So we, we moved it all online and now he's happy and the, the investors get their money but this trick of, of kind of finding a way to hybrid it where at, for a while, give them their physical actual check so they can see it, taste it, touch it. I hope they don't taste it right away, but um, that way they're more likely to, to have 
an imprint. If their money just goes up in their bank and that's the only thing, it's not as tangible as holding a check, depositing a check, looking at a check, feeling a check, smelling a check, and being like, he did what he said he was going to do. He told me he was going to give me a certain amount of return and he, he did it and he did it on time and he does it on time every time. I thought it was interesting. One of the, one of the things that you said around your, the way that you're raising, you are raising money is absolutely different from a lot of the syndicators. So I do syndications. A lot of us, we're going out to apartment investing places and we're being like, are you passive? Or are you active? You're passive? Okay. Do you want to do 50,000 my next deal or whatever, you know? And, and one thing is that those people expect to have a 17, 18, 19% annualized return. That's right. a lot of money. Sure. And if, if I could switch and do what you're doing and, and I could go and start hanging out at wine uh, wine tastings, etc. Then I wouldn't have to be trying to give everybody. Uh, I wouldn't have to be shooting for twenty percent. You know, giving them seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I would have to be. I would now be able to do six percent. Keep mm-hmm. more of the deal. Start doing debt. And I've, if I educate them on how it's going to be, it's going to be helpful because right now, other people are educating them. Other people are educating them that they need to have 20%, et cetera. Anyway, I thought that was awesome, but let's get into your business model. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. So, how? first off, give me a high-level overview of what the business model is, entrance strategies and exit strategies, acquisition and disposition strategies, and then I'm going to ask the specific questions that I think the listener wants to know on, on how do you do the acquisitions? How do you do to manage them? So just give me the high level for sure. at the beginning. Okay, the high level is, like I said, I raised private capital to buy distressed debt from the banks. Those could be non-performing mortgages. I only buy first mortgages or REOs, right? So anyone that's not paying on their mortgage, it becomes a non-performing first mortgage. I will buy those from, I'll buy the paper. I don't buy the house. I'm buying the paper from the banks that aren't being paid on. I will also buy it after the banks foreclose on the borrower. So it becomes an REO. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of REOs. But I generally buy those. 90 plus percent of what I buy is direct from the banks, from the asset managers. So I don't have to deal with wholesalers. I don't have to deal with realtors. I don't have to deal with sellers, uh, yellow letters, marketing, phone calls, and all that stuff. I also will buy direct because I have feet on the ground and I get properties in those markets I'm in. I will get direct sellers and I will buy those as well. So they're all distressed type properties. I take those properties and I pretty much rehab those properties or I sell them as is uh, for either cash or on seller financing. So I become the bank. Okay, so that's my disposition is I get those properties fixed up. I get them rented, I get them placed with a property management company, and I sell them off to investors that want to build their rental portfolio around the world. So I have a decent amount of international investors at this point that want to place their money in the United States in emerging markets. I have a lot of people in the United States that also do this because they want to, a lot of people like to invest passively. They like to be lenders, but there's also people that want to build up their own portfolio. They want to build up their own, um, their own legacy for their family. And as lenders, they generally can't do that. They get their interest. But when they pay them back, they're out of the deal. So we get lenders that we have people with money that say, well, this is great, but I want to own my own portfolio. So now we can help those people as well. Got it. Got it. Okay. So on the acquisition, you just go to banks and you just say, 
Number one, I'm only interested in two things. I, I'm, I'm not here trying to chase a bunch of shiny objects, but it, it's first mortgages or REOs, and that's it. So that's number one is, is that you're focused. Number two, I'm wondering really how does the bank or, or how would the bank, let's just say that the listener hasn't yet done this. It's uh-huh. obvious for you, Dan, because you've been doing this for a long time. Right. But for the listener, if this is the first time that they've ever gone into this, how do they talk to the bank? What do they need before they talk to the bank? Who do they need to be partnered with? Do they have to have money ready to go? What does it look like if, if, you wanted to, if I wanted to implement your business? What do I need ready before I talk to the, to the person at the bank? That's a great question. I, I was, I'm glad you asked because I wanted to get into that. When you deal with the banks, the first thing you don't want to do is you don't want to go to your big banks. You don't want to go to your Chases and your Wells Fargo's and your Bank of America, uh, PNC's. What you want to do is you want to deal with the, the position you are dealing with is the special asset managers of the banks. You're not walking into the teller and talking to them. So you can go right on LinkedIn. You can type in special asset manager and look at the local banks in your area, okay? Because your local small banks, your credit unions, your, um, your municipal banks, your, those are the ones you really want to deal with. Um, there's so, some low-hanging fruit out there of, of asset managers. I mean, essentially... I have 426 seller finance notes. I'm an asset manager, right? I have assets. I don't sell them, but I have them right now. But there's a lot of asset managers out there. So you have your low-hanging fruit, your servicers, servicing companies, right? They will sell assets as well. Um, So you can get on there and you can look at assets like that. You can see if you could buy. Um, But what you want to do is you want to have the ability to close pretty quick. These are not deals that you have a lot of time to do due diligence on. A lot of times they'll give you a few, anywhere from 48 hours to two weeks for due diligence. You're not going to get inside a lot of these properties because there's people living inside of them, right? So you're going to have to have a way that you can go around. You can look at the properties. You can get your values on it. You could do your due diligence on taxes owed and encumbrances owed so you can make your offer. And you want to be real. What's most important is you're really specific with the asset manager on what you want. And understand that to get involved with the asset manager, it's not a one, not generally a one call close. You have to build a relationship. Like you're in the multifamily space, Adam. So if you're dealing with a multifamily broker, you can't just call a multifamily broker and expect them to have a deal for you first time. You have to build this relationship. They have to see that you perform. Okay. It might not even be the best deal in the world, but you have to perform. Once you perform once, now they're comfortable with you and you become their go-to and they're going to start calling you with everything. So I'm in a position now where I generally I reach out to the asset managers only because I'm, I'm, I'm doing that right now because of what's going on. And I say, you know what? I want to have a relationship with them. I want to have my, my finger on the pulse. But generally, almost every week, I'm seeing assets across my computer that I could buy because I have a relationship with them. Once again, you don't have to have a million asset managers. If you have one to four asset managers in your area, you'll have deals left and right coming to you. Okay, so you really want to consistently raise private money because you want to have money to be able to close because this is not like uh, we get a deal and we have three, three months to close. Sometimes you have a week, sometimes you have a couple of days. Okay, you want to have your team in place. So if it's your local market where you're from, well, you want to make sure the minute you get those assets, you take a look at them. All right, and you tell them you're specific. I want single families. I want this zip code. I want this area. I want non-performing first. I want performing first. I want non-performing seconds. Because if they start giving you what you want and you don't ever perform or get back to them, you're gonna, they're not going to take you serious. 
And the other thing is if you give a bid on an asset, explain to them why you give them that bid. You know, a lot of times they don't know. They're sitting behind a desk and they're sending you an asset and it, they might think it's worth $100,000, but you go and look at it and your comps will show that the ARV is worth $60,000. Well, send them comps. Tell them this is why I'm bidding this. Here's what the comps show. Here's the pictures of the property. It's missing the whole side of the house. You know, they're, they're, they want that. They want that feedback from you. They want to know that you're willing to do the due diligence because if you do, they're going to work with you. And just understand, just build up. A lot of people, the, the problem I see even with students that I've taken on is they try this one time and it doesn't work and they stop. And that's, that's what I see across the board on everything, right? They try to raise money for one month. It doesn't work and they stop. They go back to a hard money lender. This is, this is a relationship business, as you know, Adam. You, know, you built up what you have because of relationships. Um, this is a relationship business. If you put the work in, and that's why this is so important right now, because this is like 2009 all over again. If you could put the work in over the next three, four months, there's going to be such a transfer of wealth that you're going to come out ahead. It's going to be phenomenal. Right. So that's why it's, this is the best time in the world to be getting involved. So I went to LinkedIn because I thought that was uh, great advice. I went to LinkedIn, I typed in special asset manager and what came up was some people that were just asset managers, some people that actually does say special asset manager and a few that say REO asset manager. Um, So when, when going in and searching for special asset manager, do you, do you, like, how do you know which type of asset manager is the right type of asset manager? Because yeah. like we manage some assets, but they're like, we have, um, uh, 1400 apartment doors and we manage those and we call ourselves asset managers. So how do you know when, when somebody works at a bank, like what are you doing on LinkedIn to make sure you're getting to the right well, person? The first thing I would do, first thing I'm doing is I'm going to general area, right? So I'm going to geolocation. So I'm not looking at United States. I'm kind of, because I'm looking for local banks in that market that I'm in. So mm. if I'm in the Dayton, Ohio market, which I am a lot in Dayton, Ohio, I'm in Alabama, Tennessee. So I'll go to, you know, Alabama, I'll go to Tennessee, I'll go to Dayton, Ohio, and I'll actually type, I'll put those areas in there, right, Ohio. And then I'll type in, you know, special asset manager. And then I'll do first or second connections, generally first, um, because it will even give me their email address if it's first connection. And then I'll go down and I'll actually look at it. But when, you know, I heard REO, asset manager, that's perfect for me. That's right up my alley. That's one of them. And if you do that, like I think if you do a, a search for the whole United States, there's like five, because I'm not even doing it now, but I've done it with my students. It's like 500 something thousand asset managers, right? If you're looking at it. If you, if you drill down, you're going to see a bunch in your local market. I mean, just type in your local market. You can see a bunch there right now. And then you just scan down them and you'll see who they are. I mean, it's, there's, there's because if you put asset manager in your, in your title, it's going to show up there. So I have to look and now, okay, you're an asset manager. You have 1,200 doors. Well, if I'm looking for multifamilies, well, I'm putting you on my email list and I'm sending you an email out. Hey, Adam, let's get on a call. I'm a multifamily buyer because at some point you might be looking to sell. You might be looking for my money. You might, I might want to invest with you. Um, I might see that you're, you're buying assets. I might want to sell you an asset, right? So you want to be on my – I'm going to have you on my list, right? So that's why it's important. I mean, you, these are things you could do for free, guys. The other, the other thing I show people is, uh, you know, when we talk about raising money, you can go to your local. I show my students this, this one trick, and it's powerful. You can go to your local chamber of commerce. Just type in whatever county you're in, chamber of commerce. I don't care, what San Diego County Chamber of Commerce. Go in there, 
it's going to give you the directory of every person or business in that chamber of commerce. Now you take that person's name, you skip trace them, and now you have their mailing address. You don't send it to their business, you send it to their home address. That's where your invitations are going to go. Okay, so these are little things you could do that it, it takes work. I'm not saying that this is no work. If you have an assistant or a virtual assistant, you can have them do it for you. If you don't have the money for a virtual assistant, you, you know, I think you should invest in one or an assistant. But if not, you want to do it yourself and you want to take the time to do it yourself, do it yourself. But everything I'm giving you right now is what I use in my business and what I teach my students. Awesome. That was that was that was interesting. So I'm I I might implement this as well. Just go to you know Jefferson County Chamber of Commerce um, and then look for people in certain businesses. Then skip trace them. We don't want their business info. We want their they want we want their personal info. We can mail them letters. We could even call them on their phone or text them or whatever. Right? I teach people. I said, listen, you can go to whitepages.com. Um, I think for like nineteen ninety nine a month, you can skip trace up to two hundred people's address. Wow! I mean, you can do Good something deal. like that. You know, you don't want to email them if you don't know them. But if you send them a high end invitation to their house for an event, a financial, you know, uh, an event, you're not you're not selling them a deal. Do not send anything to the house. They fund my deal. It's you know, education about paying for your kids' college. You know, especially right now with these businesses going through what they're going through. If you could do education for them on the SBA loans or something like that, you could bring value. Yeah. And here's the other thing I want to say is, is Adam, is I, I go through the same thing with my students. I say, you don't have to be the expert. You just have to be the connector, right? Bring your accountant in, right? Bring value to your accountant. And your accountant's going to, you're, you're not going to want to tell them to pay their kids. Your accountant's going to tell them the right way to do it. Okay. Bring your custodian in, your IRA custodian in. Let them show them, let them teach them how they can move their money the right way, the correct way with the IRS guidelines so they're not paying a lot, penalized. Um, so you can bring the expert. You bring an attorney in or a banker in that knows the SBA loans. So you bring, all you have to do is be a connector. If you're a connector, that makes you the expert, right? So they're going to come to you for everything. Because really all we are, and it's the same thing I teach everybody, is we're problem solvers and we're connectors. That's all we are. I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, we're problem solvers. We, we take care of seller's problems. We take care of bank's problems. We take care of people with, with money in retirement. We, we take care of their problems because they, they don't know who to invest with. They don't know who to trust. So we're connectors and we're problem solvers. And if you think about that the right way and you really put some time and energy into your business to be a professional, you're going to come off way better than 90, 90 plus percent of every other investor out there. It just sends me a text message on Facebook and says, hey, can you fund my deal for $250,000 without any due diligence? I love where this is going. I know that it's been very uh, valuable so far. I believe uh, wholeheartedly that if someone listens to and implements just what we've talked about so far, that that's that's hundreds of thousands or millions in their pockets, whether it's uh, money that they're making or money that they're raising for, for deals. Um, this has been already very, very valuable. I want to be conscious of your time, Dan. How, how much time do we have to pick your brain more on, the, on your, your business model? You're, you're good. I don't have another interview for <laughs> another hour and a half, so I'm good right now. Okay. Excellent. I wanted to make sure because I know we want to get into some details here, sure. uh, specifically about what you're doing with buying REOs. So we've already got some really cool ways of, of pulling in the assets. You gave some really good feedback as far as making sure that you had the ability to close quickly. You mentioned 
48 hours through all the way to maybe two weeks. So, so two days to two weeks is when I've got to be able to close. And so before you're, before you start connecting and trying to close on these deals, you probably want to have a way to make sure that you can close fast. Dan, what are the best ways of making sure that you have what it takes to be able to close in 48 to hours to two weeks. You mentioned uh, having somebody out there to look at the property because sometimes you can't really get in. You mentioned you mentioned a couple other ideas that you're thinking about before you close. But if I'm new and I'm listening to the show, what are the key things that I need to have prepared and ready to go to make sure that I could close fast enough to, to buy one of these first position mortgages or REOs? Well, first thing you really want to make sure you have is you have you started reaching out and building private money or bringing partners in that have money, right? So your skill set might not be money. Your skill set might be finding deals. So find somebody you're going to partner with that could actually bring the money in, right? So you, yeah, you, you all have your genius zones, right? Um, but what you want to do is you, you really do – people think they don't have a team, but I'll tell you this, they have a team because why else would they be investing in the market they're in? You just mentioned the county. You, you're in that county for a reason, right? There's a, there's a reason you like the county you're investing in. So before anyone invests in any market, they should do their due diligence on that market. What makes that market good? Because if somebody comes to me and says, hey, fund my – like Adam, if you came to me and said, hey, I got this apartment multifamily coming up, would you throw in a couple hundred thousand? I'm going to ask you, why do you like that deal? What do you like about that emer- market? What makes it emerging? What class area is it in? Um, what are the rents going for? Is it a value add? So you know exactly what's going on. If you don't have that yet, if you're brand new, this is the first episode you're listening to, you want to get a team together. And that team is not people you have to hire, but you want a, you know, a real estate agent. You want a property manager. You maybe want a contractor. You might want a title company, an attorney that you, that, you know, that's going to really show you why you're benefiting investing in that location you're in. So you have that area because when a deal comes in, if I find, let's say, three assets, we just had something, we had a big tape come over the other day and we found three assets and I do a lot in Charlotte, North Carolina now. And um, so I picked out the three assets in North Carolina. I gave it to my project manager. He ran, drove by two of them. He said, these two are horrible. One of them is okay. So we took this big pool of this big tape of over 300 assets and we dwindled it down to three. And now we dwindled it down to one asset that we put a bid on this morning. He went by there, took pictures, he ran comps for me, right, with the realtor we have out there. I have all my data real quick within hours, and I'm able to put my offer in. And I gave him my reason why I didn't want the other two assets, because he knows I like North Carolina. So that's the team you need, right? So now they're going to come back and they're going to say yes or no. Once they say yes or no, we're going to finish our due diligence. And our due diligence is we're going to check on taxes. We're going to check on title, quick title search to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances. If there are, we'll deduct taxes and liens from the, from the price. And then we move on. But, you know, they're not going to say, well, you went by and we're going to go by after we have an offer. And now we're going to say, well, we really didn't realize, we didn't realize the roof wasn't the way it should be. And it's not, you know, there's soffit issues or there's, you know, it doesn't work like that. They're, this is not buying real estate. This is dealing with an asset manager who wants it off there. The reason you're getting a deal like this is they want it off their desk. And you're hitting them at the right time. And if you understand how banks work, banks don't, people think that banks have to get these assets off their books because they're losing money. They're not losing money. Banks make their money in full when they fund. They're, they're backed by insurance companies and they're backed by Fannie or Freddie loan. It's a Fannie or Freddie loan 
they're insured, right? So they have that insurance, they have um, PMI, mortgage insurance premium companies, but they have insurance backed on every loan, right? So they're, they're, they're made whole. The reason banks get these off their books is because a bank has to hold six to seven times the amount of a non-performing asset, right? In cash, right? So they have to hold. So if a $100,000 loan comes across the desk and it's non-performing, they got to hold the six to $700,000 for that one loan. If it's for performing, and don't hold me on this number because I'm not sure, I think it's about 5%, 5 or 6%. So $100,000 loans performing, they don't have to hold five or $6,000. They also get, they also get insured by, F, they, they're insured by FDIC and they're inspected. Uh, um, they're audited by them. If their numbers, if their non-performing assets are too high, they'll lose their credit ra uh, rankings. So that's when they get stuff off the books. People are like, well, why wouldn't they sell it? They, they're not performing, they're losing money. They're not losing anything. They're doing it for their credit risk. And if they have too many, too many red flags, they, basically their credit risk becomes too low, they can be forced to shut down. So you could also look at banks. That's another trick for you guys. Just throwing a little golden nugget out there. You could actually, public records, you could actually look at banks' credit rating and you can see when they're at risk of, of being shut down. And you can start reaching out to those ads, asset managers and uh, but you got to do your due diligence. You got to do your research on this stuff, and you got to find it. Um, but but this is all public, right? This is all public information, you know. So uh, one of the things you said, Dan, was um, genius zones, and I thought I think that's um, you know big enough to at least address one more time is that we do need to be thinking about what is our genius zone? Are we better at deals and underwriting, or are we better at money and connecting with people and um, expressing this? I think that was very important. And when we're talking about what does it take to make sure that you're, you are ready to close in 48 hours to maybe two weeks max, yeah, you had a lot of good feedback for the team. You talked about how you don't have to you don't have to actually have the team like you're, these aren't on your staff. You're, you don't have to hire them. It's just that you need to connect with them. You need to know them. You need to know who they are and you need to be able to reach out to them, right? Uh, the question that I would have um, based on the team, which is obviously a very important part before you're closing on these deals, right? How about, how about the money? Speaking of genius zones, somebody's got to have the money. What do you suggest you have lined up for money? Um, do, you, do you find the deal and then the money automatically comes? Or do you find the money and then you go and, and find a deal that the money wants to buy? That's not, that's not funny. When the whole chicken before the egg type thing, I hear at all these events, right? Get the deal and the money will always find you. And the note, If you want to play in the non, with the banks, um, you don't want to generally do that, right? There is money out there, but now you're scrambling to find money. You got to pay high interest rates, or you got to give a ton of equity away. Um, I always tell people you want to stay consistent with both. You want to start out with both. Um, there's no reason you can't be doing the meetings I'm talking about. You can't be reaching out to these potential private lenders and say, "This is my business model. This is what I do. I'd like to have a meeting with you, or coffee with you, or help you out. This is what we do." And they'll say yes or no. I, I'm interested in doing this with you. I want to. I want to fund some of your deals and you, you tell them, great, when I get my next deal, I'll present it to you and see if it works. But you, I always say you never stop trying to raise money, never stop raising money because it's always okay to tell people, sorry, I don't have a deal right now that I feel comfortable putting your money in. They'll feel a lot more confident with you than you just trying to rush and be under the pressure and under the gun. And that's when you have to pay out these 17 to 20% returns on money because you're, 
you know, when you find a multifamily deal, it's like, quick, we need to raise five, six, seven million dollars today. Well, the next 30 days or our money goes hard or down payment goes hard. So um, I'm consistently raising money. Like, like over the last six weeks, every day I'm on the phone and I don't even have the deals right now, enough deals right now to put the money in, but I'm on the phone with my private lenders almost every day. I've made a point to call. I spend two hours a day calling private lenders and asset managers. You know, whoever I can get on the phone, I have Zoom meetings with them. And I make sure I'm consistent so I understand where they're at, making sure I'm empathetic to what's going on, making sure I understand, you know, if they want to still put their money in the deal, if they're scared, if they're not scared, answer their questions. They all have questions. Every single private lender I've spoken to that I work with have had questions of what's going on. Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be okay? And we, we put that to bed up front and we show them why we're doing deals, why they still work. Our properties are renting out. Literally, we don't have a, we have a waiting list for, for, with renters right now. You know, so I don't know what's going on, but we have more tenants than we have than we have beds or rooms right now for them. So um, it's very important to stay consistent. If if anyone, just coming from me alone, if I'm telling you that like, it's important to stay consistent, you really should be doing this right now today. Starting reaching out to people, putting a plan together, putting your bio. Make sure you have a bio or a business plan together because um, most people don't have a bio. And that's the other thing we work with people. Make sure you put a bio together. So people know who you are, what you do, who's on your team, what your mission statement is for your company. Like, you know, I want to know when I speak to Adam, like, what's your mission statement? Where do you invest? Why do you invest there? Who's on your team? What's your goal? Um, before I even care about how much money I'm getting paid back, I want to make sure how my money's protected. Yeah. So your experience, that kind of stuff. And if you don't have a team, you do have it. I just tell people, they say, well, I'm a team. You do have a team. Um, you have your realtors, you have your project managers, so on and so forth. So the other thing is if this is the greatest time in the world, right? Cause when I started this business 29 years ago, I didn't have all these podcasts like you have right now, right? I didn't have these meetup groups and these real groups and, and all these events and these masterminds, these amazing, some of these masterminds are just amazing. You should be part of a great mastermind. Like I know you got one Adam and, and they should be part, you should be part of these masterminds. Like I get so much. I'm in two masterminds. I spend six figures a year in masterminds. I, you have to have a mentor, right? So if you, let me tell you this. If you, you think you don't have a team, I could guarantee you that, I'm going to guarantee you something. I don't guarantee a lot. If you, if you came to me, if, if I'm Adam and somebody came to me and said, hey, I got this multifamily deal, 150 unit right now. I have a bunch of money I could raise or I don't have money I could raise. Adam, I have this great deal. It's way on the rented right now. It's a, it's a tremendous value add opportunity in a class B neighborhood. 150 units. Can you help me? Could we partner on this? What would you say? Done. Of exactly. course. Yeah. So you just have to find, and that's why I was talking about genius. And you have to find, if you're, if you don't have the money, go out there and bust your butt and go find the deal. And it's really not that hard to find the deal. It's, it's work. I'm going to tell you this, cause I am the one guy. Um, I'm the one guy I will tell you, I will never sell you on a get rich quick scheme. I'll never tell you it's easy. I'll tell you, you can do it. And my answer has always been, if, 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 if you can do it, why can't I? And that's how I always been my whole life and I'll figure it out. But I'm telling you, you have a ton, ton of mentors out there right now, whoever's listening. And if you want to get involved in multis, go out and find a multi, pound on pavement, find the sellers of, find every seller out there for a multi, pick up the phone and call them. You never know what's going on. And you find one, just say, Adam, I found this great deal. Can, can I bring it to you? We partner on it. I don't have the money. And I'm sure that I can almost guarantee he's going to say yes. So yeah. 
for sure. A lot, a lot of good info there. Okay, so the next step is the disposition. And you said you had multiple strategies for the disposition. Could you lay those out one more time? Um, one of them is that you sell them on owner financing or did I, that is true? Okay, so share, share with me, what are all the ways that you dispose of properties or sell or get rid of or make money on properties on the back end? Well, some of them I hold in my portfolio and some I sell to investors, but I generally don't sell to owner occupants anymore. Although you could, that's an, that's an option. It's just not one of my options, really. I choose not to do that because um, I don't want to deal with the Dodd-Frank compliance issue and I, that's where I used to be. But I sell them to investors that want to build their own rental portfolios in emerging markets. And a lot of my investors are either cash buyers, they'll buy them just cash, they don't want to even want a mortgage. I generally don't deal with mortgage companies too often because I don't like mortgage companies and banks controlling my business because look what's happening now. They could have been closing on a deal and all of a sudden they pulled out. Um, so. I will once in a while allow a mortgage company to come in fund my, and close on deals for my buyers, but generally it's cash buyers or seller financing. So what, what's great about it is let's say I take a property and it's, it's an $80,000 property. I'll just show you how these numbers work real quick. If somebody was to come in with $100,000 cash and they wanted to buy a property from me at $80,000, how many properties can they buy? Right. One point. Well, yeah. Two five. You can go take their wife to dinner or something. <laughs> <laughs> but now I take that eighty thousand dollar property and I say, okay, Mister and Mister's investor, I will let you buy this property with seller financing. So what I'm going to do is I I take thirty percent or twenty thousand dollars, whichever is greater. So thirty percent on eighty thousand dollars is twenty four thousand dollars. So now with that hundred thousand dollars, how many properties can they buy if I have a ton of them? Ah, uh, three or four. Yeah, four properties. So I just created right. Four properties at $80,000, that's $320,000 in value for that investor. I just created four seller finance notes for myself to put in the bank that, that I don't have to deal with tenants, toilets, or trash, and I create passive income. So now that payment might be like $460 a month to me. I don't have to worry about any, any vacancies, any maintenance issues, none of that. Okay? If I need to recapture, so some people say, well, that's four properties, but you still have money sitting in the deal. Right, you didn't get all your money back to pay your private lender. Well, I just got $100,000 back on that. Now I have a note for $56,000 on four properties. So I have a $224,000 note. I can sell payments on that note. So I can go to another investor and say, hey, give me $50,000 and I'll sell you 100 payments. I can borrow against that note because it's a first position mortgage. I can borrow against that note to another investor and give him a collateral assignment against it. Now, that's how I did it in the beginning. Now I don't sell those notes anymore. I keep them all because now I enjoy the cash flow, right? But in the beginning, when you start, I want people to understand that once you have a note, there are a ton of investors out there that will buy your note from you because they like passive income. There are also a ton of those investors that you found at the Chamber of Commerce and your local, um, your, your local um, uh, um, cigar clubs and wine clubs and you know, auto, auto, um, auto shows and boating shows that they have 30, 40, $50,000 sitting in an account somewhere, or they had paid their kids and those kids will buy payments from you. Okay. Because it will go into the IRA at seven, 8% interest or even 10% interest. It doesn't matter. You're still taking care of them. So there's ways to recapitalize on that note if you want to. I don't generally recapitalize on those notes anymore. I keep them along my portfolio. If you sell one of these 
okay, if you sell four or five of these properties to somebody who has 100 or 200 grand and, and you do a seller carry, uh, you basically create a note, right. um, a deed of trust, a mortgage, and then you are, they're paying you as the lender. My question would be, who manages the property? Do you like? Do you put them in touch with the property manager? Do you do you sell it with the same property manager? Do you own a property management company, or is it just like you're the buyer? Go and figure that out. That's a great question. I do not own a property management company, and I don't ever want to own one. I also don't like the. There's there's probably two property management companies right now that I feel like are very um, that I know. There's a lot of them out there that I don't know, but. Out of what I found so far in all the business I've dealing, all the business dealings I've done that are extremely moral and ethical, where they sell you a property and they're not going to rip you off of maintenance fees. So I don't want to ever be in that position where I sell you a property and I own the property management company because I don't want to. I don't want that. That I don't. I don't want to have any um, any chance of improprietary or thinking right now. Um, so I use property. So where I, I only do deals where I own properties, right? So if I'm doing something, let's say in Dayton, Ohio, or Birmingham, Alabama, or Charlotte, North Carolina, I take these properties, I get them fixed up. I get them placed with a property management company and they place a tenant in them. If I sell you the property, you more than welcome to use that property management company. I recommend using them. If there's something that goes wrong or you don't like it, you more than welcome switch to whoever you want. I will help you switch to another company. And I'll tell you this. You have to expect eventually to, to, to have to switch to another company. There are a lot of property management companies out there. That's not the hardest. People think that's the hardest thing in the world. But if you manage them like you manage anything else and your expectations, you're going to be okay with that. But yeah, they're not on their own. They actually get my property. Most of the time, they're getting my property management company. I rehab the property fully for them. That property management company puts a tenant in for them. So it's really, it's really hands-off turnkey rentals. But the difference is there are turnkey companies out there that manage themselves. I don't want to do that because I just, I just don't want anything. God forbid something happens. I don't want anyone to say, well, you sold me a property that you're making money on the maintenance or anything like that. I don't make a dollar. I don't have a dog in the race. If you want to switch, you switch. You go to another property manager. But uh, I know that I'm putting people in. I over rehab these houses. I make them maintenance free uh, as much as I possibly could. I call them. I make these properties hard, you know, hardwood floors. LVP, new roofs, new HVAC, new hot water heaters, all new fixtures, bathrooms, counter, I do granite countertops on almost every property, stainless steel appliances. So I go above and beyond because I don't want to have issues, maintenance issues on my own properties as well. So I do the same thing for the investors and I teach the investors that that's what they should do. But yeah, so they, but they can leave and they go to their own property management company if they want. That's, that's perfectly fine. Or they can manage themselves if they want. Awesome stuff. Good deal. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the final five. Hey guys, please check out Merrill Callister's law firm, Callister and Associates, callisterlaw.com. They're one of the only full service syndication law firms in the country for a flat rate fee. They will represent you from letter of intent all the way through to the closing of the transaction. This includes PSA negotiation, title review and objections, creating the PPM, investor questionnaires, subscription agreements, filing with the SEC and any applicable blue sky filings out of state, along with lender due diligence and assistance with closing the transaction. Callister and Associates also represents sellers of multifamily assets, as well as owners that are refinancing. 
They have represented over 3 billion in syndication transactions and are currently handling 20 to 30 syndications in any given month. Callister and Associates is your one-stop shop for all things real estate. For more information and a free consultation, please go to callisterlaw.com. That is K-A-L-I-S-E-R law.com. And I've also put that in the show notes for you. And we are back with the Dan Satofsky, and we want to find out what his most creative deal that he's ever done is. So, Dan, out of your experience for the last 29 years, what is the most creative deal you've ever done? I bought and sold a hotel uh, with none of my own money, and I had the seller actually fund the deal for me and sold it within three months. That's probably the most creative deal I ever did. How'd you do on that deal? Oh, it's probably the biggest uh, profit we ever made on a deal in my history. Awesome stuff. And what's a book you recommend to the listener? Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if they haven't read it. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I agree. If they haven't read it and also Passive to Prosperous. That's, that's, I have to recommend my own Passive to Prosperous. But how, how do they get Passive to Prosperous? Right on Amazon. I could, uh, it's on Amazon or I could share a link with you guys. Cool. Uh, happy, happy if you want to send a link. And then the next question I have is, where do you see the market five years from today? And at the same time, where do you see yourself five years from today? Um, where I see the market five years from today is, is very, a lot more people are going to jump into passive income. A lot more people are going to take more control of their, their income. I think you're going to have the newer investors maybe jump, you know, not, not jump into the, the multis the way they were jumping in for a long time. You can have the experienced guys like yourself really start taking over that industry big time. Um, and the smaller investors are going to go out and they're going to figure out that they have to take control of their life and they have to you know, start raising their own private money. And once they do that, it's going to be, it's going to be phenomenal. And, and yourself? Myself, five years from now, I love I loved mentoring. I love speaking a little bit further. I love writing more books. I love doing my own mentorship groups. That's where I see myself more of. Uh, we built a pretty nice passive income portfolio right now, so I don't really go out and chase too much in deals. I chase uh, I chase the right deals and the right mentorship stuff. How do you add value to others? Um, just bringing content to them like we do to both my investors, uh, my lenders. I educate them. To me, I, I bring value by content, um, connecting the right people, educating them. Uh, and that's really how I bring value. I, I, I try to bring value to everybody that is doing the right thing in the business. Um, like a pod, you have a podcast. I try to bring a ton of value to your listeners to help them out so they can go out on their own after they get off this podcast and actually take action today. Because I feel like there's too much out there right now where people aren't actually able to take action today. They, it's just a lot of fluff. It's a lot of sales on it. Um, I don't come on here. I don't, you know, we're not making money on here. That's not what we're looking to do. It's like, you have a great podcast. You have a great name behind you. Your ethics and morals are there. So we want to do everything in our power to give, we want to empower the people on your podcast to actually be able to go out and say, this is great. I can go out there today because I was on Adam's podcast and take action today. And I'm sure there's at least one, they might not be able to do everything today, but I'm sure there's one thing that they captured in this, in, in this podcast that's going to change, change their life just a little bit. And it could be their vision. They could be like, wow, I like this guy, Dan's vision. I'm going to start doing that. And it doesn't have to be real estate investing. It could be like, I'm working too hard as a mechanic. I want to actually spend more time with my wife and kids. So I'm going to stop chasing money. I'm going to start chasing time. So that's how I bring value to people. And that's what I, that's what I truly love. That's my vision is to bring that kind of value to people, not just teach real, real estate investing is you can learn it on YouTube. Really. I want to teach them, you know, life and vision and goal setting and, and that mindset. 
Love it. Good stuff. Dan, the listener might want to reach out to you and, and find you and get a hold of you. What's the single best way for them to do that? Um, definitely go to my, in Facebook, go to my Facebook group, not my personal name because I have 5,000 friends, so I can't accept anymore. But go to Zatovsky. Uh, I'm sorry, become a real estate investor with Dan Zatovsky. So right there. Become a real estate investor with, with Dan Zatovsky. And I'm going to have my assistant's going to look that up. She's going to get the link and it's already in the show notes. So if you're listening, don't even worry. You literally just scroll down and the link's there, copy and paste it, throw it in and you can join his Facebook group. That's the best way to get a hold of him. Dan, I uh, am blown away at when you were talking about what I want to do is just add value. Um, I'm blown away because the entire episode, it was all about adding value. You would have never brought up your podcast if it wasn't me trying to say to the listener, look, you're going to get it. You're going to get something value out of here. So then you're going to want to reach out to and find his podcast because he's probably going to be dropping stuff like this day in and day out. So anyway, I really appreciate it. I, I learned a lot. We went all over the board, in my opinion. We, we, we did a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I think um, the entire thing was just super valuable. So I just want to say thank you. I really, really appreciate you coming on. I'm going to let you go, my friend. But until next time, think outside the box. If you got value out of today's episode, please make sure to leave us a review and let us know how you feel. Um, Jason and I are very, very grateful to have you as a loyal listener and to have you keep coming back and back and back. I want to remind you that Calicern Associates, they can help you literally from the very beginning to the very end of all of your apartment investing transactions. So great resource for you, calicerlaw.com. And if you do want to check out my brand new YouTube channel, it's apartmentinvestingshow.com. I hope to see you there.